0: Today is the final message we're going to go in our series on worship. The series title is, Where Your Treasure Is, There Your Heart Will Be Also. We were created to worship God. We're created with the capacity to have relationship with God. Amen? Okay, two people. Amen, hey, praise God. I Thank you that you believed it. I heard you. Amen. <laughs> Let's check in. Uh, we've been talking about this whole thing, that we're created with this. And so, we're, today I'm closing with... This series, this is, we're coming to the end, and it's very appropriate being on, on uh, Palm Sunday. The call to the highest form of worship. The call to the highest form of worship. Oh, hopefully you're like, what? What's that? What's that? Well, we'll, well, ask that question. We see worship as a response, right? It's a response. And we can see worship as something we do because of what God has done what he's done for us, or what we expect him to do. Um, and, but this is my challenge. Rather than worship being a response to what he has done, worship is actually a response out of who he is. Think about it. It's a subtle twist, but it's very, very important. In the context of, uh, of Palm Sunday, Everybody, Palm Sunday. I was thinking, I looked over at Dave and I said, it's Palm Sunday because all the kids were coming out with palms. Did you know you have two palms? You can actually make it Palm Sunday every Sunday. (laughs) Anyway, so for those who are at Family Camp, you know exactly what that was about. Um, It's a response, but it's a response of knowing him. Think about it Was reflect on this thing. 2,000 years ago, the people were waving palm branches at Jesus, giving him praise, but in a week later, they were shouting, crucify him. And they would, be, they would actually say, in you know, one minute, praising, but the next minute, actually advocating against him. Well, why? Because their, their praise at that time was because they were expecting Jesus to do something. They were expecting Him as a Messiah. They were expecting Him. But the question is, did they actually know who He was? Would it have been different if they knew who Jesus was so that their response a week later would have been radically different? Worship, out of knowing who a person is, is more important than what they've done for you. And this is at the heart of what is Worship. I'm doing this because I know who I am in Christ and because I know him. Out of knowing him should determine worship. Your actions out of the knowledge of this. And this is why we absolutely need revelation. We need God to open our eyes to give us complete revelation of this. I echo Paul's prayer. Paul in Ephesians 1, what is his prayer at the beginning? He says, I pray that the eyes of your heart will be opened. Did you know you can come to church and your eyes be closed to actually a knowledge or revelation that God wants to give to you? And he's saying, my prayer for the church is open. Your eyes be open. A revelation that you would have. You need it. You need to know God in in a greater capacity. And that's the neat thing is because you're dealing with Father who's infinite, there is no end to this. You can actually keep knowing his love for eternity. There is no I have arrived. And so Paul is saying, I want you to know him. I want you to have this. And yes, of course, out of that knowledge, you'll know the benefits. You'll know that you've been adopted. You'll know that you're an heir to Christ. You'll know all that you've received in him. But at the end of Ephesians 1, he suddenly says, but that you would know him in this, in his power, and his absolute authority, and that he has the name above all names through all generations even in this, in this world and the one to come you can read it in Ephesians you see we know that we receive Christ as an inheritance we have this mercy adoption, grace we have redemption and hope but again this is centered on Jesus Jesus who is far above all authority and power and dominion above every other name but I'm going to share with you the scariest verse in the Bible and it was a teaching that Jesus gave on the Sermon on the Mount. And this is what I'm talking about, why the importance of knowing God and what it means with worship and how it affects. Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. If you have your Bibles, please open there. I'll put it up here because, man, it's, it's just a short one. Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. This is what Jesus was saying as he was teaching on the Sermon on the Mount. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Okay, just catch that. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. See, I I, want to say this particular passage is super, super scary. It's crazy if you think about it. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. I thought all you had to say was call Jesus Lord and you enter the heaven. Suddenly Jesus is saying, Ah, there's more to just saying, You're Lord. It's, it has more to this, this component. What I find is this that he even says this many on that day will say, Many. That's scary stuff, many. But what's even more scary, or the crazy part of this, is they're saying, but we did these things. We cast out demons, we prophesied, and we did signs and wonders. And I'm going, how do you do that and not have a relationship with the Lord? How can can that happen? Isn't that weird? How can a person cast out a demon but not have this relationship see it's a scary scary verse a challenging verse actually until you really realize something that well the nature of who God is if you know who, who is God who is the one that casts out demons who is the one that speaks words to us all the time Who is the one that's changing people's lives and does mighty works? The one who came to heal the brokenhearted, to set free those in bondage, to bring us back to the Father. Who is the one that does all this? You see, it's easy to see the correlation if you know the one who's doing it. It wasn't these people. It was the person that they were professing to know. Let me explain this, really simple idea, again, about knowing, and your knowing affecting how you act or you worship. I Imagine this, today I came to you because I, I have a pizza, and I suddenly was like, uh, can I pick on you, Lindsay? I'm looking straight at you, is that okay? Lindsay, I have for you a pizza. As I give her the pizza, it is absolutely... Now, the neat thing is, I have not paid... She has received the pizza. She has got this pizza. But the truth is, I am just the delivery guy. I did not pay for that pizza. Uh, I'm simply the person saying, here you go. It has Now, the neat thing is, I want to be in relationship. I want to know the person who actually gave the pizza. That's the point, isn't it? Who's the one that actually wanted to heal you? deliver you, cast out demons. Who was the one? See, the focus becomes, as I am a person, just to think, man, I'm the delivery man. But I want you to know the person who does, who gave you this. Does it make a difference? See, we can be delivery people, but the point of it is, the delivery person, if they're in knowledge and know the person, the price that was paid, or the person who's giving it, totally different. Story now, and suddenly this illustration is important because Jesus is saying, "You know what? It's what's most important is if you know me, you will now live this. If you know my heart, then guess what? The byproduct of your knowledge of me is casting out demons, healing, prophesying, signs and wonders." And all these because what does Jesus want to do? Heal, save, deliver. All of those because we just become the pizza guy. Because this is my theology. This is what Care Portal and everything was talking about. Who is God? Who is God to you and I? Who is this God that you're worshiping? Who is the God that we praise to? Do you know Him? But if you know him, what is his character like? What is he like? And this is what I've come to a real, I want, this is it. I have only one point today. No three points. One message. Who is God? Well, God sees hard places and broken people and he moves towards them, not away. This is God's heart. Let me repeat, I've only got one point today. God sees hard places and broken people and he moves towards them, not away. This is his heart. This is the entire scripture, is a story of a God who keeps coming to us, Emmanuel. He does not leave us or forsake us. That's his heart. And as I worship and get close to his heart, guess what happens? his heart starts to affect me. I get stirred in the things of his heart. So what is the purest form of worship? Remember I said, that's the question. We've been doing a series on worship. We've been talking about what is worship. And suddenly, we're going to get to this question. Well, what does, what does it look like then if you're getting Father's heart? Ah, It's this, the highest form of worship is out of knowing God, I see hard places and broken people and move towards them, not away. I suddenly reflecting Him. That's the highest form of worship. Do you ever hear that flattery is the greatest way of showing someone you appreciate them? Have you ever heard that? Flattery? No, no, that isn't. The best form is imitation. you hear that? Flattery, saying, you're so good, you're amazing, you're awesome. That is, that's pretty good, but the best way to actually appreciate someone is imitate them. And that's why we are called Christians. Do you know what Christian is? Little Christ. We, now in our form of worship, is to immolate or become like him. Little Christ, now thank God I, I, there is only one Jesus, uh, because you know I, if I have to put on the burden of saving the world, that ain't going to happen anytime soon. And none of us, as we were saying, imagine this care thing. How are you going to change all of Winnipeg? How can you deal with all of CFS? How do you? And the neat thing is, I do not have to save. I am not the savior. But man, I like God's heart that He wants to go to broken people and hard places. And he goes towards them and not away. And this is the idea of worship. And I just want to throw this because this is both an Old Testament and a New Testament paradigm. It is both in the Old Testament and the New Testament. In the New Testament, he says, a man, a scribe, comes and says, tell us us what the rules are. Tell us what all the commandments are. He says, to love God and to love your neighbor as yourself. He does not say, love God and love your neighbor. They're actually together. We do that. We separate it and say, love God and love your neighbor, but it's actually them together is how your expression of obedience to God is, or to the Father. And so, this is carried up in James. James is actually talking about faith, and he talks about, but he also then says, guess what? Faith without works is dead. He parallels this by saying, you can say you believe in God, but your, re- your action towards one another is actually how I know you are living in that faith. And so he carries this theme in in the New Testament. But guess what? It's also in the Old Testament. We see this in Isaiah 58. Isaiah 58, it's an interesting chapter because... Remember, Isaiah is talking, he's prophesying, he's a prophet, he's trying to get us back unto God. He's trying to tell the children of Israel uh, how they have strayed away from God. And so Isaiah 58 is a, is a real challenge because he, he's really talking about, well, in this passage, he talks about their worship, he talks about Israel's worship. And he says this, the Israelites, and it's in the context of this, he says, you see me daily and you delight to know my ways. That's, that's in verse 2. 58 verse 2. He says, you delight to know my ways. Isn't that a good thing? How many of you think it's good to know his and delight in his ways? Okay, I got a couple of heads and nods. Good. Praise God. Good. You're with me. That's a good thing. To know him. Want to delight? You want that? Good. And then he says this. So he says, sounds good. You're a nation that did righteous and did not forsake the judgment of their God. He, that part there, he says, you're a nation that did righteous and did not forsake the judgment of their God. That's a good thing. Wanting to do right things, that's good. And, and they delight to draw near to God. See, this is all about worship. But then he turns it in verse 3. He changes it where he says, now, but behold, the day of your fast, worshiping me by not eating, that's what, that's what fasting is, When you do this, you're seeking your own pleasure, and you oppress all your workers. Behold, the fast you only to quarrel and fight and hit with a wicked fist. Fasting like yours is a day will not make your voice be heard on high. You're not connecting with me. You're fasting, and you're saying, I'm not going to do the food, but I'm after something, and he'll get to it. Is it a fast that I choose a person to humble himself, to bow down his head like a reed, and to spread sackcloth and ashes under him? Will you call this a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? What's appropriate worship? Well, this is where it gets neat. Verse 6. He says, Is it not the fast that I choose to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free and break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house? when you see the naked to cover him and not to hide yourself from your own flesh? Isn't this what it means to actually fast and worship me? And then it's a neat thing, is he gives a promise, he says this, if you were to do this, in verse eight, then shall your light break forth like the dawn and your healing shall spring up speedily. Your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be a rearguard. Then you shall call the Lord, You shall cry, and he'll say, Here am I. The thing we're longing for is this intimacy and relationship. And he says, Well, it's really weird, but when you start caring for that person, that's when you will meet me. This is what it means to really worship him. This is probably the highest, purest form of worship. According to what God says, I'm wanting. And I'm just going to close with this idea of knowing God. What does knowing God mean to us? It's, I see hard places and broken people, and I start moving towards them in the same way he does. I'll explain why this, and I close with this last thought. Because about two weeks ago, um, I had the privilege to go to uh, L.A. to take our... uh, our TKS missions trip there to go and minister in streets or in L.A. Um, and the Dream Center is actually uh, it's, it's so impacted. I was absolutely floored by this uh, ministry, the incredible work that it's doing in L.A. There, you know what? L.A. is actually known as the most desirable place to, to live. It's got one of the most incredible... If you want zip codes you want to go to, you want to go to L.A. If you go up Rodeo Drive, it is absolutely stunning. The rich and the famous. The houses we drove up as we were going up to the Hollywood sign. Man, it was gorgeous. Oh, not only that, I was so privileged to be able to go down and minister on Venice Beach. And uh, the Santa Monica Pier. You know what? Oh, beach ministry? Thank you, Jesus, for calling me there. Oh, just give you a... You can see there, I, I was suffering for Jesus... Right here. I, I know my son was burning for Jesus in the background there somewhere, but I will to go for that. Absolutely just, Lord, this is, this is amazing. Oh, I, I was like, we are in. It's. So, I mean, literally while we were there, Thursday, we get a text from a mom, it's snowing in Winnipeg. Oh, Lord, I feel this beach ministry calling me longer. Oh, Jesus, this is the place that I know I'm meant to be. Well, as this is happening, the truth is, there's another side to L.A. that is really crazy. Um, actually, I can say that absolutely blew me away is the level of homelessness. It was, ins- it was incredible that I did not know that, uh, that there is 60,000 people living in homelessness and 13% living in poverty. Crystal meth is absolutely wrecking the place. As people that are getting addicted, even as kids, it was, it was interesting, talking to some guy in, in the street, he was on, uh, living in the park, he's in a tent, and I said, how did you get here? Well, I actually went to Bible college, I was studying to become a Bible, a Bible college, I went to Israel, I learned about history, I loved history, I got married, but then I, I got, we got divorced, worst mistake I could ever make, and then what happened was this, is then I decided, I got, uh, was doing some alcohol, but then I took crystal meth, and now I'm here. Like that. I, I, it literally scared me thinking, that's what's happening? That's what our kids have to deal with? A guy who went to Bible college and all that and suddenly makes one crazy thing and you have an addictive chemical that's so that nasty that it could ruin your life and you're now living in, 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 on the street. Really? Wow, but this wasn't just him. It was like, like literally every block was a homeless person. Uh, I I could just go on to try to grasp. And the crazy part was we weren't even allowed to go to Skid Row. See, Skid Row is 46 blocks of people living in homeless and in in that. And uh, they had changed their policy so that only uh, you had to be 18 and older to go. So Andrea, Andrea was able to go with Rachel. And if you want to ask just a grid for being in North America in the middle of affluent Hollywood it will absolutely go, wow, Lord, this is crazy. Well, this, the story of the Dream Center was interesting because the story goes like this. Uh, the guy who started the Dream Center, his name was Matthew Barnett. Matthew Barnett was actually, uh, he, was, he was a guy who was 20 years old. He, his dad is Tommy Barnett, the pastor in Arizona that started the first Dream Center. Tommy Barnett had this mega church, so Matthew grew up as a son of a pastor in a mega church, and he saw how they were doing these uh, re- outreaches. So Matthew had, an, had someone speak to him, and he had a, a, a word about how he was going to plant a church in L.A. So Matthew went to L.A. at 20 with this thought. He got there thinking he's going to plant a mega church, and then suddenly he found out that that was not the case at all. He has no name. They don't know who this kid is. And he realized um, that he actually had what he thought. All these dreams and ideas, he said it just went crashing down. In fact, he said for two years, he just sat there and cried. He'd go home at night absolutely feeling devastated. And he says this, when you feel absolutely like a failure, please don't ever see that as a negative thing because often God will take your failures and make them for triumphs. Because what happens when you get that low, who do you go to? And if you know Jesus, suddenly he meets you. What happened is exactly that. In about the two-year plan, one day, he's sitting there again crying, and the Lord said to him, stop your crying. Stop your crying. He's thinking, oh, no, God's going to give it to me now, right? I'm acting like a baby. It's two years. I think he's done. He goes, I want you to do this. So he walks him outside. He goes outside. He sees, uh, goes into it. He goes, I want you to go to the Echo Park, this park right beside the church. So he goes there, and he's there. Suddenly, it's the first time he's recognizing uh, what's actually in his community. It's middle of the night, and you do not go out in the middle of the night at LA, especially in his particular area. And he said, "The first thing I noticed was a helicopter going around, trying to search for criminals." And then I saw this other kid who was uh, being pushed against a police car, being handcuffed, and he just—he was suddenly gripped with. Then he saw the prostitution, he saw everything. He said, "This is too much," and he was absolutely gripped with the need. What do I do with this, God? And then the Lord said this. I want you to do this. I want you to simply take your desk, your church office desk, and I want you to put it outside for one year and meet the people. I want you to be for the people. I want you to kill all your dreams of a mega church. And if you let it die, I'll, let you, I'll show you what to live for. So for a year, that's all he did. He actually went out. His office was out as he started talking. So, what's your needs? And he listed this thing. And as he listed the needs, it was so huge. He's like, "How do we ever fulfill them? This thing will require a full like office or hospital because we need to get people detoxed. We need to get people, uh, you know, food. We need to get and he just a listing all these things. We need a place to get these mums off off the street and change them, and they need to be helped because they've never done. And how do we do this? So the dream center came out of that. We're now going down and seeing what happens when somebody believes that they can make a difference because they see God saying, This is my heart. I go to broken places and I go to broken people and hard places. I don't go away from them, I go towards them. Now here's the crazy part. Guess what we did down in L.A.? Oh, it was so life-changing. I got so radically juiced up. I was having a hard time coming back. Like, how do I do this? And this is what we did. You ready for it, church? This is how I radically changed L.A. Well, the first thing we did is um, we went and did a children's ministry. Uh, we actually did this, if you can see, so Pat, I can show Matthew Barnett's face here, There, show the next one, it's Matthew so you guys know, we did children's ministry, guess who's right there, changing LA, that's Andrea, drawing chalk, a little chalk figure with a kid, how profound, eh? Oh, uh, the next one I was, we were doing this. This was the next part we did. We were playing basketball. My son and I were schooling some little kids. Well, they were schooling us too because we, we didn't, you know, they'd probably knife us if we really did basketball. No, joking. Anyway, <laughs> strike that from the internet anyway. No, no, we were, we were just, out, we were playing basketball. We're changing LA by doing basketball. But if you know where the kids and their background was, you would totally understand it. We were giving food. Did you know we have a food bank at Gateway? Panic gives food every week. Wow, I, I did, Oh, Well, did you know that uh, we did this profound thing? It was crazy. I cleaned up garbage. I was, I did this thing with a, with a guy who was in the program. He was an ex, ex, uh, kind of con, and kind of he's doing this stuff, and I'm walking with him, talking, and, and we're picking up garbage. But this is the cool part, as I told he He started telling his story. guy who was very rich and famous. Uh, he actually was an actor in the, in, the, in the show Days of Our Lives. True story. He's an actor. He um, was also a fam- famous dancer. He was on Will Smith's dance troupe. And his name is Stone. And Stone is a... Uh, he was a really colorful guy. In fact, he had shaved hair, blonde, and high-knicker things up to here, and pants, and just loved to talk. But he was also, uh, he declared he'd, he'd come out of the closet. A couple of years ago, he'd come out of the closet, and so he was, he was living the lifestyle. He had money, he had all these things, he was schmoozing, and then finally he found out he had HIV. And suddenly he knew, he, was a, he said, I can die. The crazy thing is he even grew up in the church, had all this information. He lived in Seattle. Uh, he decided to become uh, an airline pilot, or sorry, a uh, st- stewardess or attendant, so he could travel the world because he thought, I don't know how much longer i go. And then he came home one day to church. And his pastor kind of asked him what was going on because they found out that he, got, he lost his job because what happened in the midst of this, he got into drugs. And now he's in an addiction. And now all that comes out of where he is. And the pastor says, I know where you need to go. You need to go to a place where you can actually meet Jesus and change. And he said, I know a friend who does this Dream Center thing. Imagine that people say, I want you to go to church because that's where you will get changed. The crazy part in this whole Dream Center thing is the church, this function, this thing that's doing because they're introducing Jesus, their success rate of people being transformed is 80%. From those in serious addictions. And so Stone is talking to us, and he goes, I've been here now clean for eight months. And you have no idea how amazing Jesus is as I'm picking up garbage. I was transforming LA. And then I realized, because I got really, I had a real rough coming back home. Can I be really brutally honest? I didn't just want to, I was kind of going, I'm really disenfranchised with church. This is what we know who God is. And I saw a taste of what it looks like when you just want to say this is who Jesus is. And people living like that, it's crazy, but how do you do that back home? And I actually was really, I could, even my brothers are like, Norm, you're not in the good space. You're, you, how does the team leader, the pastor saying, I really don't want to do church? Until the Lord rebuked me and he said, as we were coming to do a care portal, he says, can you make a difference? Can you make a difference by simply knocking on the doors and saying, here's a gift for parking? Can you make a difference with doing EAL? See, it's not that LA, we have the same issues here. It's the question God said, will you worship me here in Winnipeg? So I close with this thought. What is the purest form of worship? It's out of knowing God. See, God sees hard places and broken people and he moves towards them, not away. And this is absolute God's heart. And as I pursue him and worship him, I get closer to his heart. You're going to get wrecked, people. If we continue to say, help us to worship you, our compassion will be huge towards people who don't know Jesus. How many want to increase our worship? I do. I see hard places and broken people and I want to start moving towards them, not away.